are entering the Freedom Hut. Bernie Sanders is defending the socialism that he wants to impose upon the rest of America. We will talk about that and also just all the crazy ideas that Democrats are putting forward to try and outdo each other from the left, including letting the Boston Marathon bomber vote in elections. This is going to be wild, folks. Strap in. The Buck Sexton Show is coming up. This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America, you're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Is it your assumption that I supported or believe in authoritarian communism that existed in the Soviet Union. I don't. I never have, and I opposed it. I think it's also fair to point out that when we were in Moscow, for example, I think most of the people here also were extremely impressed by their public transportation system. The stations themselves were absolutely beautiful. Also, I was impressed by the youth programs that they have and cultural programs which go far beyond what we do in this country. Is it your assumption that I supported or believe in authoritarian communism that existed in the Soviet Union. I don't, and never have, and I opposed it. I'm Jane Sanders. The city was beautiful. We were astounded with the openness, the optimism, the enthusiasm. I think the things that struck me the most were the way that they dealt with children and with the cultural life of their community. They put the money into public facilities, and we have pal- they have palaces of culture uh, which are paid for strictly by trade union dues. Why is there a policy in this country which is producing more and more nuclear weapons, which is increasingly antagonistic to, uh, to the Soviet Union? Is it your assumption that I supported or believe in authoritarian communism that existed in the Soviet Union. I don't. I never have, and I opposed it. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. We thought we'd give you a little taste of Bernie Sanders then and now. I don't I don't support Soviet communism. Uh, but he kind of honeymooned in the Soviet Union with his wife and used to say really nice things about the Soviet Union late in the game, too. This isn't like the early stage leftists in this country back in the... 50s and the 60s who were very favorable toward the totalitarianism of the Kremlin and the enslavement of hundreds of millions of people behind the Iron Curtain. They, they, they were very favorable to it back then. This We're talking about the 80s now, where Bernie, if not a commie himself, Bernie was sort of a quasi-commie. He certainly had nice things to say about commies. And I would want someone to ask him today in some detail, is your problem with the Soviet Union, Burn, that it's a bad idea that goes contra human nature, natural law, and individual rights? Or is it just that it doesn't work? It didn't work. You know, that's what someone has to explain to me is is it just that communism wasn't tried the right way that time or does bernie oppose communism always and at all times i think this is fair i think this is fair game and we should wonder what his answer would be you know there's this town hall now you get all these democrats it's going to be fantastic to watch them just just stumble over each other desperate to prove who's the most left wing you know who's the real deal who's the one that really represents left-wing Democratic Party values 
to the rabid anti-Trump, anti-capitalist base that is now progressive America. Who's going to say the wildest stuff, the most outrageous, indefensible stuff? Well, that's a very open question, isn't it? Bernie Sanders on the issue of letting people remember not for I'm open to the argument about former felons voting. And I think that there's a there's a case to be made there, depending on the specifics of it, that, you know, you served your time, you served your debt to society. I think that you should have a restitution of rights, including if you're a nonviolent criminal, I think you should have restitution of your Second Amendment rights. By the way, I don't think that writing, you know, forging a check means that you should never be able to defend yourself and your family again with a firearm. I'm sorry. Uh, but then the burn takes it a bit further as, and wherever burn goes now, the Democrats uh, that are running against him have to kind of follow because he is where the, the id, the instinct of the democratic party is currently found. Bernie thinks that maybe it's okay. I'm not making this up. We, we got the audio. You're going to hear it. Uh, Bernie thinks maybe it's okay for the Boston marathon bomber to vote from prison. That's right. People, including heinous murderers, terrorists, traitors, should be able to vote for, say, the next president of the United States, according to Bernie Sanders. Play clip seven. What our Constitution says is that everybody can vote. That is true. So people in jail can vote. Now, here is my view. If somebody commits a serious crime, sexual assault, murder, they're going to be punished. They may be in jail for 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, their whole lives. That's what happens when you commit a serious crime. But I think the right to vote is inherent to our democracy. Yes, even for terrible people. You think the Boston Marathon bomber should vote not after he pays his debt to society, but while he's in jail. You sure about that? I do believe. Look, you know, this is what I believe. Do you believe in democracy? Do you believe that every single American, 18 years of age or older, who is an American citizen, has the right to vote? No, Bernie, you you don't just get to keep all your rights all the time, absolutely, no matter what, under all circumstances. You don't get to keep your freedom if the state decides that you have violated its laws. I don't think you necessarily get to keep the right to vote. Man, that was touchdown Bernie Sanders there in 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 the crazy Super Bowl. Bernie just just caught a 40-yard bomb in the end zone there. That was wow. Even Bro Cuomo, who's like, Bernie, do you even lift, bro? Even Bro Cuomo was taken aback by it for a second there. Now, you might say, Buck, that's that's the burn. That's not indicative of where the rest of the Democratic Party is. You're, may, maybe that could be true, although you know that's not true. They're all crazy, right? Or at least they're all pretending to be crazy because their base, the far left, that they need to win over right now, they are nuts. Uh, But Kamala Harris, very establishment figure among the Democrats, very, you know, very much the kind of resume and persona and and tone that the Democrats are looking for for this election. They love Kamala Harris. Uh, What does she say about the Boston Marathon bomber being allowed to vote from prison? Play eight. 
I have been long an advocate of making sure that the formerly incarcerated are not denied a right to vote, which is the case in so many states in our country, in some states permanently deprived of the right to vote. And these are policies that go back to Jim Crow. These are policies that go back to the heart of, of policies that have been about disenfranchisement, policies that continue until today, and we need to take it seriously. But, but people who are in... Convicted in prison, like the Boston Marathon bomber, death row, people who are convicted of sexual assault, they should be able to vote? I think we should have that conversation. I think we should have that conversation is Democrat politicians speak for, I mean, I'm going to leave it open to your interpretation so the base doesn't turn to me right now, but once it becomes clear that I've got to actually win over like normal Americans who aren't lunatics... I'm going to pretend like I never said I like the idea. I just wanted to have a conversation. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, you got to love Democrats. It must be fun to run around and just say whatever you want to say, whatever you want to say. It. No principles. The stakes are whatever you say they are at any given time. Oh, my. We have a jam-packed show, folks. A lot to get to. Promises to destroy individual rights like the Second Amendment from Democrat candidates. I mean, the, the loony left is going to be the main theme of today's show, so... We are going to have some fun with that. I, I can assure you. Stay with me. If I'm still the majority leader of the Senate after next year, none of those things are going to pass the Senate. They won't even be voted on. So think of me as the Grim Reaper. <laughs> <laughs> the guy who's going to make sure that socialism doesn't land on the president's desk. Cocaine Mitch. A.K.A. Mitch McConnell, saying that he's the grim reaper of socialism when it comes to the legislative body of the United States government, and I like it. You know, Mitch is, I, I, I get, you know, I get that there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of criticism about Mitch being an establishment guy, an establishment Republican and all that. You know, folks, we, we always have to be objective about giving credit where it's due on our side, on any side. And, you know, Mitch held the line on Merrick Garland. And now we have a pretty solid conservative instead of having, you know, wishy-washy liberal Merrick Garland on the court. And Mitch has been excellent on getting conservative justices appointed to the federal bench for a long time now. So, you know, and that's going to be Mitch's legacy. And look, the guy's not on board with socialism. So let's let's make sure that we remember that we have allies in this process who, while they may be imperfect, they should uh, they should get praise where deserved and we should welcome them and you know mitch mcconnell is a very he's a cagey cat man i mean he he knows parliamentary procedure he knows all the tricks and you know he has been very effective on a number of issues now he's not good on immigration he's not there's some places where you know mitch and i have strong strenuous disagreements but he's been pretty good on on some of this stuff uh he really has he's actually been uh willing to take a lot of heat from the press, too. So that brings me to this. de Blasio's skyscraper situation in New York City. Kaiser Wilhelm de Blasio, yeah. So he's saying that they're going to have city legislation in New York that's going to make glass and steel skyscrapers essentially cost prohibitive, and you could have a million-dollar fine. I mean, all, all this crazy stuff. Um. This is what de Blasio has been saying about that. Play clip nine. We are going to introduce legislation to ban the glass and steel skyscrapers 
that have contributed so much to global warming. They have no place in our city or in our earth anymore. If a company wants to build a big skyscraper, they can use a lot of glass if they do all the other things needed to reduce the emissions. But putting up monuments to themselves that harmed our earth and threatened our future, that will no longer be allowed in New York City. I just want to know what this idiot is going to replace those, or what, what he thinks is going to replace that standard of, of glass and steel skyscraper. What, what does he think is going to happen? Are, are all buildings going to be, you're, you're going to have 100-story brick buildings now, or, you know, 60-story brick buildings? Does that, is that what he thinks is, that's better for the environment? That's a better idea? I mean, his, de Blasio is so spectacularly stupid that I don't know, I don't even know what he thinks he's trying to do. And this then reminded me of how yesterday I, I did not, I did not spend ample time, or any time for that matter, on the fact that it was Earth Day. Yay, Earth Day! Whose Earth? Our Earth. Occupy Earth Day. Yay. Remember, climate uh, climate change alarmism, worship of environmentalism. This is religious belief for people who think they're too smart for religious belief. But AEI, which I'm sure the climate change, you know, maniacs would just yell is, is basically a subsidiary of, you know, Exxon or something. But who cares? AEI's got smart people. AI pulled together um, in this article I saw today. This is this is in, in honor of Earth Day, which is I'm celebrating with you now a day. I'm not really celebrating it. We're kind of ridiculing it, which is what we should do. Uh, but in honor of Earth Day, AI pulled together uh, this article of 18 examples of, quote, spectacularly wrong predictions made in 1970 when the Green Holy Day, which we now call Earth Day, began. So when Earth Day started back in 1970, or right around 1970, this is what the intelligentsia, the Earth, climate, science, global warming intelligentsia, were not just saying offhand, were publishing. I mean, this is what they were putting forward as their predictions. And I want you to keep in mind that some of these scientists to this day are, their research is still relied on, their uh some of them are still called upon as, as experts, although now they're getting pretty old. Uh, so, but this tells you about how wrong they actually have been and, and can be. Here you go. This is, this is from AEI. And I think the author of the piece is uh, Mark Perry. You got number one, Harvard biologist. Remember, in honor of birthday, folks, we're going to make fun of it. Harvard biologist George Walt estimated that civilization would end within 15 or 30 years unless immediate action was taken against problems facing mankind. Quote, we are in an environmental crisis which threatens the survival of this nation and of the world as a suitable place of human habitation, wrote Washington University biologist Barry Commoner in the Earth Day issue of the scholarly journal Environment. The day after the first Earth Day, the New York Times editorial page warned, quote, man must stop pollution and conserve his resources, not merely to enhance existence, but to save the race from intolerable deterioration and possible extinction. Number four on this list, population will inevitably, inevitably and completely outstrip whatever small increases in food supplies we make. This is Paul Ehrlich confidently declaring in the April 1970 issue of Mademoiselle magazine. 
The death rate will increase until at least 100 to 200 million people a year will be starving to death during the next 10 years. That was in 1970. Anyone want to take a, take a little guess as to uh, how, how wrong he was? It's easy. Totally wrong. It is already too late to avoid mass starvation, declared Dennis Hayes, the chief organizer for Earth Day in the spring 1970 issue of The Living Wilderness. Oh, it goes on. Number 11. I'm not going to read all of them because, come on, but number 11 in this list. Barry Commoner predicted that decaying organic pollutants would use up all of the oxygen in America's rivers, causing freshwater fish to suffocate. Ecologist Kenneth Watt declared, by the year 2000, if present trends continue, we will be using up crude oil at such a rate that there won't be any more crude oil. You'll drive up to the pump and say, fill her up, buddy, and he'll say, I'm very sorry, there isn't any. Harrison Brown, a scientist at the National Academy of Sciences, published a chart in Scientific American that looked at metal reserves and estimated the human- that humanity would run out of copper after the year 2000, lead, zinc, tin, gold, and silver we would run out of before 1990. It just goes on and on and on. That's right, folks. Scientists in in the 1970s, the same people that were being published in peer-reviewed journals and the, the leading lights of the Earth Day movement, they thought we were going to run out of fuel, oil, run out of food, there'd be mass starvation, there'd be catastrophic global warming, the seas would rise and swamp entire countries, and there'd be, you know, massive species die off and that the human race faced extinction. These are supposedly serious scientists who are part of the green earth clergy. Why do we still have to take any of these people seriously? I'm just wondering. Why is it okay that they're so spectacularly wrong and not about particularly complicated issues? Why do the catastrophists get away with this? Again and again and again. Because it's a religious belief for people who think they're too smart for religion. That's pretty much why. Happy Earth Day, everybody. We'll be right back. We need reasonable gun safety laws in this country, starting with universal background checks and a renewal of the assault weapon ban. But they have failed to have the courage to act. So, Ben, here's my response to you. Upon being elected... I will give the United States Congress 100 days to get their act together and have the courage to pass reasonable gun safety laws. And if they fail to do it, then I will take executive action. And specifically what I will do is put in place a requirement that for anyone who sells more than five guns a year, they are required to do background checks when they sell those guns. I will require that for any gun dealer that breaks the law, the ATF, take their license. Tyranny, Kamala Harris promises you folks. Tyranny. That's right. An executive branch of government that will, in response to Congress not passing certain laws, laws that go right to the, the heart of a constitutionally protected right, Kamala Harris is telling you that she will just go around. She's got a pen and a phone, you could say, just like Obama used to. 
And she will go around the Congress if she's elected president. And she will take executive action to take guns from people. She will decide that your lawfully owned uh, AR-15 should be taken from you because she says so. Not a single person I've ever heard has made a worthwhile argument about why millions and millions of rifles legally owned and in circulation right now and protected under the Second Amendment of the Constitution should be taken away from you. I have never, I have never in my life heard somebody make a compelling case about this. The data does not back up that lawfully owned AR-15s or any semi-automatic rifle that they consider an assault rifle um, are a real threat to public health and safety. Uh, the data doesn't back it up. The Second Amendment doesn't have an, oh, that's scary looking and I don't like it exception. That, that's not a thing that exists in the law. But I would also note that we've gone through a period here where the president of the United States, President Trump, has tried to go through Congress and then has tried to take actions within his purview as the commander in chief, because when it comes to entry into the country of foreign of foreign uh, aliens, when it comes to security at the border, these are executive branch functions, uh, functions and places where the president does have a lot of discretion and authority. And we have had wailing from Democrats on this. I mean, just gnashing of teeth and rending of garments and, you know, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. They are completely freaked out because they say that what Trump is doing is tyrannical because what Trump is doing is sure to, you know, lead to people getting sent into detainee facilities all across the country. And, you know, Trump is Hitler and all this crazy stuff, you know, uh, Immigration and customs enforcement must be disbanded. And the things that Democrats say about this administration are just unhinged, completely unhinged. And yet here's Kamala Harris promising when Congress doesn't do what she wants to just say, yeah, the Second Amendment doesn't really count anymore. I'm going to I'm going to ban assault rifles with executive action. So you're going to turn people you're going to turn legal gun owners into felons. That's what they did in the state of Connecticut, by the way. You didn't hand over your uh, your semi-automatic rifle. Um, you you are technically in violation of Connecticut law. You can go to prison for that. Kamala is promising what she views as a kind of benevolent tyranny, and the media doesn't say a peep. No problem with it, because she's on their team. You see, the media is on her team, and she's on theirs. So all that talk you've heard in recent months about how President Trump is exceeding constitutional authority of the president, all, all that stuff, that's all, it's all bull. It's all lies, all right? It's just, it's just flatly not true. And does the media hold her to account for it? No, no, they do not. Uh, we have a lot more coming up to talk about on, on college, uh, college loans, the, the jubilee that really the Democrats are kind of proposing here. I'll explain that in a few moments, but I just I like to keep us all up to speed on the Jussie Smollett as somebody who knew Jussie was lying all along and was vocal about it. I like to do those Jussie Smollett updates. Uh, turns out the Osundairo brothers, who are the two Nigerian brothers who he hired to attack him. And we all know this. Uh, they I mean, it's funny. I don't think that they broke any law because they were essentially paid actors. They didn't unless they gave false statements to the authority. They didn't do anything wrong. They just showed up and like were part of this bizarre scheme to 
you know, I, I don't know. Maybe you get them on conspiracy. I don't know what the charge would be against them. I think that they just they were hired to, to do this weird thing. I don't know what they really did. But the Osendairo brothers are suing Jussie. So we may, in civil court, finally get some justice. Play 15. We have sat back and watched lie after lie being fabricated about us in the media. Only so one big lie can continue to have life. These lies are destroying our character and our reputation in our personal and professional lives. So the attorney there is reading the statement saying that uh, they're going to they're going to sue for, I think, uh, defamation of character. I forget what the specifics are. But just any judicial process that would force discovery will force some reckoning for Jussie Smollett with all the lies. You know, I look, I would let this, I would, I would not be as, I wouldn't let it go, but I wouldn't be as uh, energized about this case still. If he hadn't gotten a total pass because he's a, he's a protected individual, because he gets a special kind of justice, uh, I would except he had to walk out afterwards and say, I never lied. I would never lie. It's just too much, too much to stomach. Just, just can't do it. I can't do it. So I decided that we would do it live. Uh, team, we're going to come back and talk about the plan by Elizabeth Warren to make all the college debts get wiped away. What if you already paid off your loans, though? Oh, too bad for you, I guess. That's coming up. I am someone uh, that runs in a purple state. Uh, it is a state that when I first started running for office, the other senator was Republican, the governor was Republican, and three of our four constitutional officers were Republican. And then I started running. And every single time I have run, I have won every single congressional district in my state, including Michelle Bachman's, okay? It's when you guys are supposed to cheer, okay? <laughs> All right, so... That's when you guys are supposed to cheer. Amy Klobuchar is telling you that she wins every race and she's very charming. And she also eats salad with an old comb. <laughs> Ew, that's so gross. Remember the story about eating the salad with the comb and making one of her staffers clean, clean the salad off the comb? I don't know what it is, but just, you know, honestly, eating mac and cheese with a comb... It's a little rough around the edges, but I could see it, you know. But eating a salad, like you get the the dressing and the comb and maybe some hair in the salad and all, you know, it's so gross. It's so gross, Amy Klobuchar. And yet, and throwing things at her staff and everyone talks about how horrible she is to them. But she's still running because she won every district in, the, you know, whatever that was. This is where you're supposed to clap. Not quite as lame as Jeb Bush. Please clap. <laughs> Jeb! Oh, man. Please Jeb. clap. There you go. Thank you. Jeb's purpose in the last election was just to, for those of us who pay attention, to finally shut down this talking point that, oh, that's right. If you um, if you spend enough money, you'll win an election. I think Jeb spent almost $100 million and got, like, two delegates or something. I mean, it was just... An astonishing fail, massive fail from from Jeb Bush. But uh, yeah, something we'll we'll revisit another time. I I had more thoughts. Speaking of revisiting, uh, more thoughts on this free tuition situation that's really gotten a lot of uh, attention from Elizabeth Warren because Elizabeth Warren is now the Democrat who 
has to go kind of Bullworth. I don't know how many of you remember that movie with Warren Beatty and uh, Halle Berry where it's about a politician who decides he's just going to start speaking the truth because he kind of has a breakdown or I forget. I can't remember if he has cancer, if he has a breakdown or whatever, but he like doesn't care anymore. It's a cool concept. It was not executed well. It is not a good movie in large part because I think they weren't even willing to write things to have this guy say that would have been interesting. I mean, they, were, they tried to make a movie about a guy being politically incorrect who they wouldn't really allow to be politically incorrect. Um, but Warren is now the Democrat who is willing to throw ideas out there because she's desperate to get some kind of relevance. She's desperate to come up with a, a way to get back at the top of the pack here. And for me, at least, I mean, I think it's interesting to see a Democrat finally say what a lot of them maybe think. Uh, she's pushing, obviously, for impeachment. We'll talk more about that. She's big on impeaching the president. She's now said, oh, we must impeach. I, you know, I go back and forth. It's just a question whether they think it'll be good politics for them. It has nothing to do with the evidence. It has nothing to do with, obviously, with principles or being faithful to their offices as uh, elected members of the United States House of Representatives. No, it has nothing to do with that. Right? I know Warren's obviously a senator, but it has nothing to do with being in Congress. It's just whatever, or, or, or respecting congressional oversight and the role they play in our democracy and blah, blah, blah. Uh, it's just, will this help Democrats beat Trump? If the answer is yes, they'll do it, if they think. If the answer is no, they won't. Everything else is noise. But free tuition is an interesting concept that's definitely getting more and more attention from folks. Um, play. This is what Warren lays out for her. Remember, this is uh, free college tuition for people who currently have student loan debt. So it's really actually just debt forgiveness. It's a kind of small scale. Some of you may be familiar with the biblical concept of a jubilee where all debts are wiped away. Maybe something we should talk about in some detail on the show another time. But this has been around for a long time. The, the resetting of an economic cycle and the jubilee and the freedom from debt that a society will impose upon itself with real consequences, but as a way of kind of cleansing the economic system. This is a, a kind of campus jubilee or at least a student loan jubilee that she's talking about here. Play clip two. We are going to roll back student loan debt for about 95% of students who have debt. That's part one. And part two is to make sure that we never get in this mess again on student loan debt, and that is to make college universally available with free tuition and fees and to put more money into Pell Grants so that students of color, so that our poorest students have real access to college, and that we put some real money into our historically black colleges and universities. This is about opportunity for everyone. This is about the money fairy that's going to magically appear and pay for all of this is what it's really about. Because the moment you start to look at this plan in any detail, you realize this is a disaster. So it's rolling back debt and then making all college free. College is far too expensive. Why is college far too expensive? Well, in part because the lender for college is now the American taxpayer. And colleges can keep jacking up their rates and building these huge endowments and overpaying all these administrators and building, you know, multi-million dollar dormitories for students and, you know, tens of millions of dollars, more than that probably, on athletic facilities and all this stuff. It's a total just wild spending orgy with a lot of these colleges and universities. And 
Warren here sees this as, as, a, as a function, first and foremost, of fairness. Uh, let me say that the wealth tax that she proposes is unworkable. So what she'll do is sell us all on a wealth tax, only people over 50 million. And yeah, can they afford 2%, 3% a year? Sure they can. How are you going to extract that 2 or 3% from people who year in and year out um, are going to probably have assets that are locked up? Are you going to make them sell stock? Are you going to make them sell shares in their company? Are you going to make them sell... Some of them might not have 3% of their of their uh, net worth readily available. I mean, there are some people that are very, very wealthy on paper. That I, I just want to know how this is really going to work. You know, if you're a major, if you're a, if you have a, you know, a billion dollar real estate portfolio and you need to liquidate 3% of your net worth to pay for this special tax. Every, by the way, it's every year. How are you? So that's 3% and then another 3% and then another 3% and then another. That's actually going to eat into your net worth pretty quickly. That, that adds up. I mean, this, this whole thing is, is a farce. It's a fantasy. There's no way it's going to happen. But it's interesting to just talk about because put aside the mechanics of paying for this free college for the, in the future and eliminating debts in the past. Let's talk about fair. The, the, the F word as the Democrats use it, fair. right? Pay your fair, sure, Obama used to always say. What happens to the people that have been struggling for the last 20 years to pay off their student loans and have managed to do so? or let's say halfway through, or, or at any stage of the game, do, do they get? No, they, they don't get their money back? So the, one, the, the people that borrowed responsibly and did what they're supposed to do, they suffered and didn't, they didn't you know, put that down payment on a house. They, they did, look, I mean, I, I'm somebody who didn't go to grad school because I don't want to take out the loans. Full stop. That's it. I mean, I also wanted to do media, and thankfully it's worked out because I'm kind of good at this. But... I decided that, you know, I just didn't want to take out a what would have been by the time I paid it off a couple hundred thousand dollars to go to a business school for two years. Didn't want to do it. But if I had been told, oh, we'll do it and then it'll be free, you know, in 10 years, we'll just wipe the whole thing away. I'd say, oh, maybe I will do this now. It completely changes the incentive structure. And what about the people? So there's the people who didn't go because they didn't want to take out the debt, the people who have serviced those debts. And people that chose to go to a two-year college or chose to go to a trade school or chose to do an apprenticeship or instead of taking out a four-year degree so that they could put a down payment on a house or whatever, do, do they, they get left out of this whole thing too? Individual choices about one's personal finances are not the government's job to remedy. And it is wrong. That's right. It is wrong for the federal government to step in and say, well, you know, we're going to just make this better for you because you're a big block of voters. I and mean, this is like in Ghostbusters when Bill Murray, playing Dr. Pete Venkman, says to the mayor, you will have saved the lives of millions of registered voters. Well, in this case, it's saving the bank accounts of registered voters, but this is buying them off with taxpayer dollars. It's not right. It's not right to do. Uh, am I open to colleges too expensive? Yes. Do I think that student loan debt should be non-dischargeable? No. Do I think the federal government should be making these loans back, backing them in the first place? No. Do I think that people should be responsible for their personal choices? Yes. This is a there's a sophisticated discussion to be had here, but free stuff for everybody, free stuff all over. Just rich people are going to pay. That is selling snake oil, friends. That is a lie, and that is what Elizabeth Warren is presenting you. Hiring is really tough, but there's one place you can go where hiring for whatever job you need to post is simple, fast, and smart. 
It's a place where growing businesses can connect to the most qualified candidates quickly, efficiently, easily. That place is ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. You see, ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards. They don't stop there, though. They've got a powerful matching technology that allows ZipRecruiter to scan thousands of resumes and find the right people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. So whatever industry you're in across the country, if you need to hire for any job, please try ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. Right now, my listeners can try it totally free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. I use ZipRecruiter with fantastic results for hiring at the Hill. You should try it too. ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. We've been waiting for Mueller to, you know, make us comfortable uh, with the fact that he is deplorable and he's not deserving of the presidency and to find all of the evidence. Then we thought Barr, despite his background and what we know about him, was going to step up to the plate. And now we're waiting on the public to make us do it. The Congress, the Congress really does have to really does have to step up to the plate. The fact of the matter is, I think that when you look at this report, you can see that there's enough information there, not only on obstruction of justice, but also on collusion or conspiracy, whatever you want to call it, to move forward with impeachment on this president. Because if anything, even if he's not impeachable at that time, if he doesn't, if we're not successful in impeaching him, at least we're investigating it doing our due diligence to hold them accountable. Look at the Mueller report and look at some of the actions over a thousand contacts between the Trump organization and the Trump administration since he's been in office. That alone uh, gets you into criminal corrupt activities. How come he can get away with that? How come you guys are not looking into this deeper? You know, Put character flaws aside, and this president has a lot of character flaws. Put it aside. Look at specifically the actions he's done, because a lot of the things we're fighting for, access to health care, from, from holding, you know, for corporations accountable, uh, to pushing back on the high rates of insulin, all of those things. Trump derangement syndrome is real, my friends. <laughs> You're hearing it. You're hearing it all over the place right now. Yeah, just Trump is just like the terrible bad man who does like so many of the awful things who's so just like everything and like I just hate his stupid face and hair and you know, it's just small man bad and hate him. They, they can't even get the words out. They can't even figure out why they hate him. They just know they hate him so much. And now we're being told that Congress, they just want to Stick to the facts, you know. Just, just want to see what we can really do here, what we can really accomplish, and uh, you know, look into um, ways that we can hold the Trump administration accountable for this or that. I'm just sitting here. I'm like, you guys are kidding me, right? We, we're in an election cycle. They, they want to have this, these, these hearings about about impeachment. They want to keep talking about criminal charges when there were no criminal charges. Well, if there were no criminal charges, then what are we even talking about? They, they sound like, I mean, this is really getting hard to analyze these Democrats, to analyze people like Rashida Tlaib, who you just heard from, and Maxine Waters, because if you're not crazy, and if you listen to the show, you're not, because you have excellent taste in radio shows. If you're not crazy, it's really hard to understand the mentality of somebody who, on these issues, clearly is crazy. You know, it, it's hard to put yourself in the mindset, in the shoes of someone who is so completely 
separated from reality here uh, and, and who has been overcome by this this disdain for the president that really is a disease of the mind now. There's no, there is zero chill. There is zero calm. There is no zen when it comes to Democrats and the way that they discuss, approach, deal with uh, this president. And, you know, they really could just take some solace, you'd think, in the fact that there's going to be an election soon. The president will be on the ballot, at the top of the ballot. There'll be a referendum on him. Uh, there's plenty of opportunity for them to make the case about why he's not a good president. It doesn't always have to be that he's literally Hitler, which is where we, we keep falling back to the Democrats. They, they can't seem to just have a, have a big boy adult discussion about why they don't like the president of the United States on policy or whatever. It, it, it always comes back to icky, orange man, bad, hate him, hate everything, everything about him, everyone around him. Uh, they're embarrassing themselves. They don't think that the way, though, because, one, they're not self-aware enough to understand how foolish they sound. <laughs> the thing about, you know, look what he's done on insulin prices. What, what is Trump? The Trump administration is actually working very hard. And this is an area where people who are honest give them some credit, working very hard to bring down prescription drug prices. Um, and, yeah, insulin is a particular area of medicine where because of some of the regulations and the uh, way that our, our current you know, patent laws work, insulin's way more expensive than it should be. But it's not, it's not Trump's fault. He's trying to actually bring down these prices. But this is like today. I was on a panel on Rising, and someone said, oh, well, you know, unlike the Democrats, you know, Trump doesn't care about people in prison. This had to do with prison voting. I said, really? The, the Trump administration, one of their main efforts over the last six months has been this, one, uh, this uh, first step program trying to help people who were coming out of prison. And now we're just going to pretend like that didn't happen. Well, this is true. They did the same thing with Bush. Bush was an evil warmonger, criminal, hated everybody. But George W. Bush, for whatever flaws he had, probably saved more lives in Africa alone than any president could directly uh, take any kind of credit for, you know, in, in, in the modern era. I mean, post-World War II. I, you know, I, I don't even know how you'd measure lives saved by other presidents, but... I mean, Trump with the efforts, I mean, it's not Trump, but Bush with the efforts he made in Africa to just uh, bring down HIV rates and bring down AIDS deaths, millions of people. That was a huge Bush initiative. By the way, the uh, um, uh, Trump administration is trying to push even further with criminal justice reform. And what I just think is so interesting is that Democrats are going to have to be in a position where Kamala Harris who was very lock em up when she was the uh, district attorney in San Francisco. You know, she's actually pretty harsh on criminal. She was thinking about sending parents to prison for the truancy of their kids. That's intense. Uh, they're going to have to be supporting her, the Democrat establishment, while essentially trashing Trump for trying to help people re, uh, you know, reintegrate themselves into, into society after they've served a prison sentence, which, as we know, disproportionately... Uh, African-Americans are incarcerated in this country and the Trump administration is trying to help all prisoners, but that's going to have a disproportionate impact helping African-American prisoners. Democrats give them no credit for that. None. You know, they're going to just turn around and act like none of that ever happened because they're dishonest. Because that's what Democrats do, I suppose. Uh, we've got more, though, on the uh, the dossier that I want to talk to you about, because this this is where the the fight, the central fight, I think, over Russia collusion is about to go over the dossier and how it's a big fat lie. 
Background checks are a critical part of any business these days. There's a lot of ways that people try to come in under the radar, try to make sure that you don't really know who they are and what they're all about. That's why you need Global Verification Network. They're the only dual-certified, veteran-owned background investigation and vetting company. So if you want to help veteran-owned and operated small business, you want to be working with people that you trust on your background checks, and you want someone that does this better than anybody else in the business, please call my friends at Global Verification Network. Whatever size your business, small all the way up to huge companies, they can handle your portfolio of background checks. In fact, they will come up with a custom tailored plan for you. Just call 877-695-1179. That's 877-695-1179. Or just go to mygvn.com. That's mygvn.com. All Americans had their civil liberties compromised when you have a dossier presented to the FISA court and presented as the whole truth when the Justice Department withheld relevant material. If they can do it to the president of the United States, they can do it to any of us, any citizens. The entire obstruction of justice discussion is a C-minus legal discussion. Uh, the Mueller report got the law completely wrong. They came to the conclusion that you could actually indict a president for exercising his constitutional authority. That just is not the law. It has never been the law, and it never should be the law. And every civil libertarian should be upset about that. The Dersh has been great on the Russia spygate issue. He's been great on it. Let's just let's just say what it is. Um, he's he's not a friend to Republicans in terms of his ideology, but he is somebody who does believe in the law and civil liberties. And it's it should be astonishing as we all look at what's happened with the Democratic Party in this country, just how much they've been willing to abandon those things entirely. I mean, they used to at least pay lip service to them now. I mean, it's it's laughable. You know, he mentioned the Steele dossier there. Now, and we'll talk more about obstruction and, and Mueller and all that a little later on in the show. But I want to I want to hone in on the Steele dossier component of this. If what happened to the Trump campaign and really what happened to Carter Page and George Papadopoulos, if that is allowed to stand, then it is it is entirely possible, entirely acceptable for the following scenario. Anyone who I don't like in politics, I could pay a third party to write up some report on them with anonymous sourcing and then take that report and then hand it to people in the FBI that also don't like that person and then they can open up a full field investigation as they did on Papadopoulos. They can open up FISA surveillance as they did on Carter Page. And the basis for all of this is my paying somebody to write up a bunch of rumors fabricating that's a fabrication intelligence work without sourcing is rumor mongering i used to do this i worked for the cia i know of what i speak here if i tried to you know task a satellite or or run a a human surveillance operation on somebody based on a piece of paper that someone slid under the door at the 
you know, at, at an embassy somewhere, guess what? I'd look like a moron. That is basically what happened here with the dossier. And I'd say I'd get fired, but you really don't get, inf- you don't get fired for incompetence in government. You get fired for either breaking the regulations that they have um, or speaking out publicly against the institution. Those are the things that will get you fired, but that's another conversation. The dossier was a smear document paid for by the Clinton campaign, run through a law firm, relying on foreign intelligence operatives and sources. But because it was paid for, it's okay. If we apply the Democrats' logic on the dossier to, say, the Trump campaign and the meeting in Trump Tower, it would have been okay, again, this is Democrat logic, if Valery Veselnitskaya, instead of saying, hey, I've got some information, do you guys want to take this? If the Trump campaign said, no, 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 we can't do that. We're going to pay some British guy to sit in a meeting with you. You give him the information, and then we'll use it and run it to the FBI and do whatever we want with it. That's better. That is exactly what the dossier was. It was a British intelligence officer cutout accepting money to take information from Russians for political purposes. Somebody try to tell me I'm wrong. I beg them. Somebody try to challenge me on this issue. They will get crushed. Democrats have no answers. In fact, there was a rather spirited exchange I had with a former senior Obama DOJ guy on Rising earlier in the week. And I kept saying, how is what I'm saying not true? And he just kept dodging, kept dodging, kept dodging. They tried to, the, the Mueller people, the, the anti-Trump Democrat left, tried to, it tried to say that the acceptance of information from a foreign source is an illegal campaign contribution. These people are nuts. Information, so does that mean if I read The Guardian, that's a foreign source, a British newspaper? If I, if I see a video on Russia Today that does some Hillary oppo, am I, is that a foreign? Oh, well, that's media? Well, what are the distinctions we're really making here? This is, this is crazy. This is absolutely crazy. See, they, they have no real rules, no real standards. It's just whatever hurts Trump is good, whatever helps Trump is bad. The dossier is going to be a huge problem for the Democrats. And once Trump... I just wish he would do it. And, you know, I, I try to I know that the president has more forces arrayed against him than any human being could ever imagine. And, and I understand the pressures that he's under and the, and the fact that the left is they're not just trying to defeat him politically. They want to ruin him. They want to ruin his brand. They want to ruin his family. They want to imprison his family members I mean, because the left is a bunch of crazy savages. All right. The left just they're barbarians. They have no uh, they play by no rules anymore when it comes to Trump, whatever they can do to destroy him. I get all that. But I do get frustrated sometimes. I, I think the president should just release the 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 unread, just just release the FISA stuff. I, I I know people are gonna say, Buck, you can't be oh no, I'm serious. He should just order it. I want to see the full FISA applications. I don't I don't even care what I don't care. No one's gonna no one's gonna be harmed from this. What, someone spoke to somebody about George Papadopoulos or somebody spoke to somebody about Carter Page? No, no, no one's gonna end up you know, on the floor of some cell in some hellhole because of this. I'm sorry. It's just not, that's just not going to happen. We're not talking about some deep intel penetration of a, of a hostile country. We're talking about a couple of clowns running around in America. 
that have people that are desperately trying to take them down, using the federal government to do it. I think we should unleash all this stuff. By the way, I didn't mean to be mean about George and, and Carter. I just meant, you know, they're like kind of goofy guys. I actually, I actually like both of them. Uh, and you know, what's been done to them is terrible. I mean, I'm, I totally stand with them on this. I mean, they were essentially both smeared as traitors. Mueller, from when I was reading the Mueller report, was trying to get him on being an unregistered agent of Israel. What? They're going to apply a FARA violation to Israel? I mean, Israel's a close U.S. ally. Now we're going to do that because all along it's been, oh, well, Russia, you know, you can't do bad things with Russia. But I think Trump should release the full FISA because you're going to see that the dossier was was essentially everything. The dossier was the one source in the bibliography that appears in the text, you know, a hundred times and everything else that, uh, you know, I'm using an academic analogy here, but everything else is just like, you know, padding the bibliography just to make it seem like there were more sources, but there really weren't. In fact, if you even go back and listen to Bob Woodward, this is from, I think, uh, 18 months ago, maybe? I mean, it's at least over a year ago. Bob Woodward, who was a revered journalist on the left, he was saying, uh, uh, look, guys, this dossier thing, we got we to look into this a little bit more. Play 13. Early in building the intelligence community assessment on Russian interference in an early draft, they actually put the dossier on page two in kind of a breakout box. I think it was the CIA pushing this. Real intelligence experts looked at this and said, no, this is not intelligence, this is garbage, and they took it out. But in this process, the idea that they would include something like that in one of the great stellar intelligence assessments, as Mueller also found out, uh, is highly questionable, needs to be investigated. Garbage, Woodward says. And that is what the dossier was. It was garbage. There's ridiculous stuff, just just patently ridiculous stuff in there. Unsourced Russian sources. In fact, now the New York Times, I don't know how many of you caught this, I meant to mention on the show, wrote a piece over the weekend about how the dossier, get ready for this, folks. Hold on to your butts. Here it comes. The dossier itself may have been a Russian disinformation operation that Steele, Christopher Steele, fell for and then laundered through the media and ran up the flagpole at the FBI in what would be one of the most successful disinformation campaigns any country has run against another in history. That's right, the dossier as a disinformation campaign. They didn't think about this before? This didn't occur to them until the Mueller probe ended? Oh, oh well, now it's safe to be somewhat honest about this, right? Now it's safe to ask some of the most important and basic questions. Uh, the media and all this is such, such a disgrace. We must drill down in the dossier. I, I'm going to keep saying it because it's important. They are lying to you about how this whole Russia collusion thing got started. They are lying to you because when you find out, when we find out, it will be clear that this was a conspiracy theory that this was vindictive anti-Trump partisans dishonestly concocting a cockamamie story to destroy the would-be and now current president of the United States. And this was just oppo research treated as intelligence. 
the kind of thing that you would see in some rinky-dink third-world country, it happened here in America. Intel services, major media outlets brought in on the scheme. Appalling. And something that we need accountability for. Don't put impeachment on the table as the only item on the table and say you're going to get there no matter what, which is it's what happened in 99. Instead, you say we are going to proceed with the seriousness that this demands, not to prejudge the outcome, but to examine the evidence as objectively as possible and then to draw conclusions. And if at that point they believe that high crimes and misdemeanors have been committed, then I think it is the obligation of the Congress to put forward articles of impeachment. <laughs> I mean, she's kidding, right? That's ridiculous. Oh, that's right. It's an objective process that the Democrats are going to embark on about whether or not they're going to impeach Donald Trump. Entirely objective, you see. These elected Democrat officials that are going to put the country now through month after month of, we need to hold hearings. We must in defense of our democracy. And Hillary's going to show up once in a while and they'd be like, well, what you should really do is vote for Hillary 2020. That's right. It might happen, folks. It might happen. You, you, you laugh right now. <laughs> Evil Hillary laugh. That's right. You laugh right now, but it could happen. There's no party leader. There's a div there's a lot of division among the various Democrats that are running in terms of their 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 base and everything else. So I I'm just saying. But Hillary coming out, she's the voice of reason among Democrats now. Isn't that stunning? Isn't that quite a uh, reminder of of what's really going on in the world around you right now? Hillary Clinton is more sane than the rest of the Democrat Party. And so she, she gets to show up and be kind of the, the wise grandma of the Democrat Party. It's, it's stunning. Uh, it really is. Uh, Jared Kushner, by the way, uh, switching gears here for a second, is going to be presenting a uh, Middle East peace plan uh, in the, I think, after, after Ramadan is what I read today, which... I don't know what will be in the plan, but I do know that the smartest person that I've known in my life on the Middle East peace process with Arab, uh, with uh, Israel and, and the Palestinians, uh, we used to say that every administration will try, every administration will fail, the Palestinians will make it worse, the settlers will build. That was his roadmap for all things peace process. And I know it's a very cynical approach to all of that, but... He's he's not wrong. <laughs> we could say say what you will about it. The guy's not wrong. He hasn't been wrong so far. Uh, but Kushner was uh, was speaking. He doesn't speak publicly all that often. And although people often tell me in the White House, the folks that I talk to, that uh, Kushner may in fact be the single most powerful advisor in the United States government right now, the number number one advisor to the president of the United States. Um, he's about, a, I think, a year or two older than me. Yep. I actually met Jared a very long time ago at a brunch. I don't know if he'd... I sat in a meeting with Jared for an hour when he owned The Observer, and I was sent over as a representative of The Blaze to talk to him about possible collaboration. Uh, so I've, I've spoken to Jared a few times. 
But anyway, Jared brought up a very good point about this whole collusion, Russia interference nonsense, which is like, guys, can everyone just get a grip on this thing? Uh, can we balance out what really happened versus what we've been through for two years? Play 16. You look at, you know, what Russia did, you know, buying some Facebook ads to try to sow dissent and do it. And it's a terrible thing. But uh, I think the investigations and, and all of the, the speculation that's happened for the last two years has had a much uh, harsher impact on our democracy than a couple of Facebook ads. I mean, I spent about, I think they said they spent about 160000 I spent $160,000 on Facebook every three hours during the campaign. So, you know, if you look at the magnitude of what they did and what they accomplished, I think the ensuing investigations have been way more harmful. That is a really important point he makes. Okay, that's what I keep telling you about how you could give a dollar to a billionaire, hand it to him and say, I made that guy richer. And it's technically true. Russia could run a few Facebook ads here and there and say they interfered in our election. Technically true. But it is an eyedropper's worth of Facebook ads in an ocean of presidential election politics online. This is why Obama did nothing about it, folks. Nothing until Hillary lost. This is why the Democrats have been dishonest about this all along. It's all been one big con. It's all been one, one big lie. And Jared is spot on here with let's keep this all in perspective. If any other human being in this country had done what's documented in the Mueller report, they would be arrested and put in jail. Obstruction of justice is a serious crime in this country. But Mueller believed because of the directions from Donald Trump's Justice Department, that he could not bring a criminal indictment against a sitting president. So I think he's wrong on that, but that's what he believed. So he serves the whole thing up to the United States Congress. Elizabeth Warren is a liar. She's a liar because of what we know about her gaming of the system, Focahontas style in order to advance herself and just to give herself a more compelling narrative day to day. I spoke not long ago to somebody who studied uh, in, uh, with Elizabeth Warren at Harvard, was one of her students at Harvard Law School, and he told me that she would regularly refer to being a Cherokee from you know, the Midwest and that that was part of her identity. And that, you know, th- this is how Elizabeth Warren tried to make herself relatable and cool and hip to the intersectional, identity-obsessed left. So she's a fraud. She's a liar. She's somebody who doesn't, and she maybe believes the lies she tells, um, but she's somebody who we cannot let get away with this stuff because the media is certainly going to let her get away with it. Just like they have forgotten about the fact that she thought that being one 1,024th Native American based on a DNA test qualified her as Native American and that she was doing a, a victory dance Um, She was doing a victory dance at the time. Well, not to be confused with a rain dance. And she looked ridiculous. But the media still holds her up because of her, that's right, Harvard credentials. And they're all obsessed with the notion that she's the more progressive Hillary and all this other stuff. What she said there about the Mueller report is just all is all crap. All crap. Let me just deal with this one right now. Um. This and what what Mueller did is a disgrace because Mueller doesn't like Trump. His people don't like Trump. And so what they did was they just lit a match and walked. They didn't have the courage of their convictions to say, we're going to torch this house. 
we're going to torch, you know, this this house of the Trump administration, so to speak. So what they did was they said, well, we're just going to leave a couple lit cigarettes by the upholstery and see what happens. But, you know, we're not saying that we should we're not willing to openly light it on fire. We're just going to leave some lit cigarettes and see if some other people maybe decide to let this thing burn. That's exactly what Mueller and his team did. And let me say this. Uh this this storyline the Democrats are clinging to that, oh, they never would have brought charges against Trump. Really? Was that what they were saying before? We were promised, and the media was telling us night after night that Trump was going to be found, you know, that Trump was going to be criminally prosecuted, or people around him. Remember, they always leave that out, folks. This is really, really important. Russia-Trump campaign collusion was not just about the president, right? Who were they surveilling? Carter Page, George Papadopoulos, low-level campaign figures. If they, and you know this as well as I do, if they had anything that amounted to coordination with the Russians, even if it wasn't illegal, any coordination of any kind with Roger Stone, with Manafort, with any of these figures, they would have claimed complete vindication. They would have said Trump is an illegitimate president And if they could, they would have pressed for criminal charges against any of those people based upon possible conspiracy statute or an application of the conspiracy statute. So it's not just Trump that was not charged. It's Donald Trump Jr. who was not charged, who they said would be. It's Trump senior advisors who were not charged on coordinating with the Russians. Yes, some were charged with either lying or with tax fraud or wire fraud with tax fraud that had nothing to do it didn't even happen while he's working for trump and not that it would matter if it did happen when he's working for trump but notice that this just becomes the narrative this is a lie it's not just trump that was not charged it's the campaign nobody on trump's campaign was charged with coordinating with the russians because they had nothing they had nothing it was all a lie this was a conspiracy theory that was fed to the rabid left-wing base of lunatics. You know it, and I know it. But then, this, so so that's one part of this whole. Oh, they couldn't have charged Trump, but they should have. I mean, she's saying here that anybody other than Trump would have been arrested and put in jail. That's a lie. The finest legal minds in the country, who are not partisan hacks, look at this and say, at best, at best, it would be a stretch to use the evidence they have. Because there was no obstruction and there was no underlying crime. So now you're going to charge somebody with conspiracy to obstruct? Is that what you're going to say? Because that's not how the obstruction statute works. It's not I mused out loud about maybe obstructing something. It's either you did or you didn't. You do or you don't. So that's also just, this is just all lies from Elizabeth Warren. Lies on top of other lies. But this story that they're telling everybody that Mueller was never going to bring charges against Trump or couldn't, couldn't. This is what they say. Mueller's hands were tied. St. Mueller, who was going to save the Republic, his hands were tied. We all know, based on the way he wrote that report, he could have said very easily, there is nothing, literally nothing stopping him from having himself or Weissman or whoever is, you know, Jeannie Reed, this whole team he has of Democrats who hate Trump that were working and had unlimited reach and resources to go after Trump and all those around him. Very well could have written in the Mueller report, we, re- we, would, we would recommend 
a criminal charge against the President of the United States. But because of the guidance from the Department of Justice, we will, you know, we know that that is not going to result in an actual charge from the Department of Justice against the president. They could have said that. They didn't say that. They didn't say that because they didn't have the evidence for it. They didn't have the case. It wasn't there. But now you're told, oh, well, they never could have brought charges. That's why they didn't. That's just not true. Let's stick to what was said. Can neither exonerate nor bring a charge against the president. They could have said, we would bring a charge, but we know that the president cannot legally be charged. Therefore, we pass this to the Department of Justice and hope that Congress will take action. That's not what they said. So Elizabeth Warren is just, is just lying and trying to get her left-wing base all riled up here. Uh, but that's, should be, uh, that should be unsurprising to everybody about um, the way that she conducts herself. Well, she's a desperate woman. She has something like 150 staffers already. His staff is way too big. Raised all this money. I mean, she's a Democrat establishment figure who is trying to run as some kind of, you know, new style of politician who's going to be so progressive. And it's, it's just all it's just all crap. You and I both know. She's she is a massive, a massive phony. Uh, nothing about her strikes me as as impressive. And the fact that she's a Harvard Law or was a Harvard Law professor, I don't know if she's still on the faculty there technically in some way or not. And can't even do basic legal analysis of what was in the Mueller report without just showing that this is all for her a, a partisan, a political exercise. It tells you a lot about about how who she is and how she conducts herself. Um, it also was interesting. We're going to talk more about impeachment and and the special counsel and how these things tie together with my friend Charles Cook later on in the show. Uh, Charles from National Review. I'm sure many. Of you, he has the best British accent of anyone you'll ever hear on the radio. Oh, actually, no. My friend Raheem Kassam might have an issue with that. I don't know. Who has a better British accent, guys? Charles Cook from National Review or Raheem Kassam from Human Events? I don't know. You can pose that one to Raheem because he's going to be a guest hosting the show soon. Um, I don't know. Charles versus Raheem. Brandon, do you want to weigh in on that one? Do you have a vote? Best British accent on the, on, in the Freedom Hut? I'm intimidated by both. You're intimidated. That's fair enough. Those British accents do sound do sound a bit intimidating. Uh, but Elizabeth Warren has talked about impeaching Trump and has set a marker on what what the uh, rationale is for all this. And and here's what I just want to point out to you that well, let me first here's what Warren says now about impeaching this president. Play four. The tool that we are given for that accountability is the impeachment process. This is not about politics. This is about principle. This is about what kind of a democracy we have. In a dictatorship, everything in government revolves around protecting the one person at the center. But not in our democracy and not under our constitution. We have checks and balances, and we have to proceed here in a way understanding our place in history that not only protects democracy now, but protects democracy when the next president comes in and the next president and the president after that. That's our responsibility. Oh, but I'm just drowning in the sanctimony there. Isn't it fun to be Elizabeth Warren? It's, It's just all about protecting our democracy. Okay, if that's true, 
then I want us all to I want us all to pay attention here because then whether this hurts the Democrats' prospects in the next election or not is meaningless. If this is about principle, as she says, they should march right to impeachment. Because the only Democrat voices you hear against impeachment say that they don't think that it would be smart for their party. But I thought this was about the defense of the republic. I thought this was about gaseous speeches from people like Elizabeth Warren about how there's a responsibility to history to impeach Trump. Well, responsibility to history has nothing to do with whether or not it's going to help the Democrats in the next election cycle. That's not a, that's not responsibility to history. That's responsibility to me, myself, and I for the Democrats. That doesn't work. Ah, but we return to a, a recurring theme here on the Buck Sexton Show. When we're talking about Democrats, we are talking about a political ideology that has as its lodestar, as its guiding, the, the only guiding principle that the Democratic Party has is that there are no principles that can interfere with the relentless pursuit of power. All other principles are subject to that maxim, which means there are no other principles. There is only one. We must be in charge. Everything else pushed aside. Remember this as they continue this dance about whether they're going to impeach or not. This is about power. It is not about what is right for the country. For all of your biggest achievements in life, who's the one person that's always been there unconditionally supporting you every step of the way? I know what the answer is for me. It's mom, your forever biggest fan. This Mother's Day, show her just how much you appreciate the love with 1-800-Flowers.com. Right now, when you get ahead of the Mother's Day rush, 1-800-Flowers.com will give you an exclusive 36 for 36 offer. That's 36 sorbet roses for just $36. Only $1 per rose. With an impressive mix of pastel shades in pink, orange, and lavender, these roses are guaranteed to make her smile. It's the perfect way to surprise all the moms in your life or just celebrate any spring occasion. So please, check it out. But you have to hurry because it expires Friday, this incredible offer. All right, just go to 1-800-Flowers.com. Click the radio icon and enter code BUCK. That's 1-800-Flowers.com. Click the radio icon, enter promo code BUCK. It's not as if the Mueller report was a dud. This is something that has a lot in it that implicates the president in actual crimes. I still hope that in this day and age, Republicans will see the facts and will be as appalled as the Democrats are. This report was completely exposing of unfit, impeachable behavior. An innocent man does not screech and, and complain. Some might ask, why haven't you start? Why haven't you opened an impeachment inquiry or in fairness, is that what you're doing right now? Politics impact this, though? How much does the politics matter in this? Impeachment gets politicized. Is this in Nancy Pelosi's hands? Oh, impeachment. Political processes. I, I thought the special counsel was supposed to be about finding crimes. It was certainly using the investigative tactics that one associates with criminal investigation and not necessarily political process. But this stuff all gets very murky, doesn't it? I've got our friend Charles Cook back in action here. Charles, you will know from National Review Online, where he is the editor, the man himself. Mr. Charles Cook, always good of you to make some time for us from uh, sunny Florida. Thank you for having me. Charles, it seems like impeachment, or I think it's beyond it seems, we know impeachment has been the the hope for Democrats as as the end state of the Mueller probe all, all along. 
Uh, before we get into your idea, the, the idea you propose in National Review, which is that we just stop the pretense of this of the special counsel as somehow a good idea. How what, what do you think about about Democrats making all this noise? Because to me, you know, if it's about ethics and being unfit for the presidency, then it shouldn't matter if it blows back on Democrats. Right. If this is if they have a duty to the republic to impeach the president for what he's done, then I don't want to hear tomorrow. Democrats say, well, but the voters may punish us for this one. Right. They're not going to impeach him. Of course, this is all fluff. But let's pretend for a moment that those who are rattling their sabers are serious. It's a difficult one to analyze at one level because the congressional power to impeach is absolute. In the Constitution, the criteria for impeachment is high crimes and misdemeanors, but Congress gets to decide what that means. And it's not justiciable, which is to say the Supreme Court can't step in and decide whether or not the president has committed a crime or define what high crimes and misdemeanors mean. So if the Democrats in the House want to impeach President Trump, they can do so. The problem they have is that this ultimately is a political question for them as well. And the case that they have built over the last two years was not that Trump is generally unfit, which is ultimately a political question, but that he was a criminal, that he had colluded with Russia, that he had committed treason, that he was a traitor. Some had even suggested that he was and had been for some time a Russian asset. Now, that allegation has been nuked by the Mueller report, whatever else it implies about Trump's character. So to turn around now and say, well, of course, we didn't really base our proposals on that eventuality. This has always been about whether Trump is fit in general is not true, but it's also politically suicidal, especially given that the question of Trump's fitness for office will be litigated in uh, a year and a half at the next election. Yes, I think that's that's a big problem for Democrats. The timeline here uh, of of how even if let's say they were going to go forward and I agree with you, it seems unlikely right now, although the Democrats are crazy. I mean, they, they're talking about giving the Boston Marathon bomber the right to vote from prison. So, you know, who, who knows how how wacko they're willing to be. But if they're going to make the case that it's a political question about the fitness for office that the president may or may not have. What better what better way to adjudicate that than the national election that's going to happen? Right. I mean, this it, it just seems like such sore loserism uh, from the left all along. But I, I did want to ask you about your feelings on and this is what you wrote about today in National Review on the special counsel. The, the, basically, just walk us through your argument. The special counsel, this is an, an exercise in some ways in, in futility, and it's kind of a ridiculous setup. Well, it's not just an exercise in futility, and it's not just a ridiculous setup, although it is both of those things. Uh, It's also counterproductive. I semi-facetiously start the piece by saying that, given the record of the last 40, 50 years, the next impeachment and investigation drive will come in about 20 years. And when it does, I think Americans should demand an entirely different approach than the one we've seen with Trump and the one we saw with President Clinton. Uh, the system under which Robert Mueller and Donald Trump were asked to operate 
was a farcical one. The executive branch is the branch tasked with investigations and prosecutions. Donald Trump is the head of the executive branch, which means that Donald Trump was constitutionally being asked to investigate himself. And had there been a recommendation of an indictment, he would have been asked to indict himself, although the uh, prevailing law here suggests that that is impossible. And impossible for a good reason. Uh, You cannot be uh, your own prosecutor. So what we've seen here is two years of freakouts over whether Trump is going to comply with the behavior of a set of employees that he is ultimately responsible for and over whom he has power and control. And this has led to uh, a really woolly situation in which it is fairly difficult to establish uh, what Trump was doing as a matter of routine. In other words, uh, what he was doing as the head of the executive branch and what he was potentially doing because he's corrupt and wanted to impede the investigation. Donald Trump never had a chance here Uh, unless a prosecutor is a mind reader, there's simply no way to determine whether he dealt with this properly. Likewise, I don't think it's any slight on Robert Mueller or his team to point out that they were operating under extremely difficult circumstances. I mean, in no other circumstance would an investigator be able to be fired by the person he's investigating. In no other circumstance would he know that even if he found evidence of wrongdoing, he most likely could not recommend an indictment. It's silly. And it's silly because the American system is not set up to work like this. If the president is accused of malfeasance, Congress is the ultimate arbiter, and Congress should be the one to investigate. If Congress investigates the executive branch, there's nothing the executive branch can do about it. The executive branch can't fire Congress. It can't interfere with Congress. It can't move resources around. And it can't even be accused of trying to do that, which is one of the things I think that was so unfair to the president in this circumstance. Now, it is probably true that we dealt with this accusation better than with the accusation against Bill Clinton. Back in 1998, uh, a statute was still on the books that enabled the uh, appointment of a independent counsel. Justice Scalia suggested this was entirely unconstitutional. He was in the minority. He was in a minority of one in the Supreme Court case that followed. But Scalia points out, look, we shouldn't be ever taking away prosecutorial power from the president, giving it to someone the president can't fire. But it wasn't too much better this time around, because what we essentially did was to take away prosecutorial power from the president and give it to someone that he could fire, which created a mess. My proposal is, next time this happens, and I'm sure it will, Next time there's an investigation into the president, Congress should take it upon itself to be in charge of it. Congress has the power to tax and spend. It has the power to hire anyone it likes. It has the power to subpoena. Find a Robert Mueller in the future, put him under congressional control, put him on a Senate Judiciary um, uh, Committee extension or what you will, and look into the president and deal with the political fallout. It would then be obvious who is operating from what premise, with what agenda. Uh, It would be obvious whether the president was complying or not. It would be obvious where the politics were. It would be obvious uh, what was being um, alleged and what was not. And we wouldn't be focused constantly on crimes, which I think would have done two things in this case that are important. One, it would have stopped a lot of the goalpost shifting. And two, it would have prevented 
an investigation that was supposed to be into Russian meddling in the election from becoming an investigation into whether the president was or was not a traitor. I think next time around, Americans should demand better. Charles Cook, everybody. Charles, I really think it's a fascinating piece, and it's an excellent idea. Your treatment of it is really uh, really worth everyone checking out. NationalReview.com, everyone. Charles Cook, editor of National Review Online. Charles, always good to talk to you, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Well, team, we have more coming up, including some updates from the campus speech wars. You're not going to want to miss it. Stay with me. After 2,800 subpoenas, 500 search warrants, 19 lawyers attempting to time to Russian interference, President Trump has beat the deep state, the left, and the media again, folks. Join in in the celebration here a bit, okay? You can get an incredible coin from Noble Gold. That's right, Noble Gold's 2020 President Trump Freedom Coin. One side magnificently depicts an image of Donald J. Trump. The other lists him with his major achievements. This commemorative one-ounce coin is the only presidential Trump coin made of 99.9% silver, not silver plating, and is IRA approved. As the price of silver rises, so does the value of the coins. You'll want to hold on to this collector's item for generations. Go to TrumpCoin2020.com and use code BUCK. It's very important. TrumpCoin2020.com. Use code BUCK, and that'll save you $5 off each coin, okay? Again, you can text BUCK to 511-511 for more, or go to trumpcoin 2020.com. Use code BUCK to save $5 per coin. Standard text rates may apply. Got an update for you all from the campus free speech wars where there are good guys and bad guys. The conservatives are the good guys, the left wing maniacs that try to shut down speech they don't like. Those are the bad guys. And we have a very interesting, uh, very interesting case study here of just what goes on at Middlebury College these days up in Vermont. I think Middlebury's in Vermont. I forget where. Yeah, it's in Vermont. It's a small liberal arts college. Uh, it's very similar to where I went to school, Amherst College. Amherst is obviously better. But, yeah, that's right, Middlebury alumni. Take it. Uh, but here's what happened. Back in 2017, there was a speech by Charles Murray, who is very anti-Trump, um, and is somebody who is a, a real academic with with street cred for a whole bunch of different pub, you know, a whole bunch of different books he's published. Uh, but he's the author of the Bell Curve, which drove liberals completely insane because it walks you through the data on IQ. And there is one chapter because I've actually read the book. There's one chapter that deals with the uh, distribution in the aggregate of IQ across different races, and that uh, forever has made Charles Murray someone that the left loves to hate, even though he's a very, I've had him on this show before. He's a, a very reasonable and intelligent fellow um, and is not in any way racist. I believe he's actually married to an uh, Asian woman. Uh, he's not racist and that's all just a smear. But he went to speak at Middlebury back in 2017. We talked about this a fair amount here in the Freedom Hut. And not only did they try to shut down, the left try to shut down his speech with, you know, the zoo noises and the, the horns and all the usual tactics of the heckler's veto. But they even injured a female professor named Allison Stanger. I mean, they, they actually hurt her as she was trying to escort him out of the building. I mean, this, this was like a mob and there was there was violence. They assaulted people. They assaulted an invited guest at Middlebury and nobody was expelled. I If I were in charge in that school, I would want a list of names of every person 
that made physical contact or threatened physical contact with an invited speaker. And I would say, pack your crap. You are gone. This is a private a private college. You have no right to be here. You're out. But they don't do that anymore. They don't enforce consequences against leftist insanity on these campuses because they invite leftist insanity in many ways. They, they teach leftist insanity. Well, there's, a, there's another Middlebury speech case came up here, and this involves uh, Rizard Legutko, who is a Polish member of the European Parliament. It's quite a Rizard. That's a cool name. So this guy's a member of the European Parliament. You'd think that he should be an individual that people on a college campus up in Vermont would want to hear from. Oh, but what's the problem? He is critical of multiculturalism and gay marriage. Oh, no, that's not... A, you're not allowed to think that anymore, the left says. Remember, it's not even clear if he opposes these things. He just has criticisms of them. And the students signed a petition that claimed that he built his career off of homophobic, xenophobic, racist, and misogynistic discourse. And they called for the political science department at Middlebury College to get rid of his uh, sponsored speech. And they said they're going to demonstrate, of course. You know, whose streets are streets? Beta males unite against speech. And in this case, though, there was a kind of underground free speech movement that popped up on campus. So Rizgard from Poland was told that he should show up. And there were there was one uh, professor. And this is after they sent out the usual because of security and safety risks. We're going to cancel the event. So they're just caving to the mob, caving to the heckler's veto. I mean, Middlebury should be ashamed of itself, ashamed of itself for this. Um, but nonetheless, they they uh, like a lot of these schools. I think, you know, the, I used to get invited to go speak at my alma mater when I worked for the CIA and I could say very little. Now I have a ton to say and a lot to share with those kids. They have no they have never invited me back. No interest in having me back to campus whatsoever. It's my own school. School that, you know, cost uh, my family a, a fortune to send me to. Won't even invite me back to speak. No interest. They're a bunch of punks. Uh, but this professor, Matthew Dickinson, uh, credit to him for believing in free speech and free discourse. He said that he would bring Mr. Legutko, this Polish uh, member of the European Parliament, on campus and allow him to give his lecture in the professor's political science class, as long as they all voted yes in a secret ballot. Well, to the credit of the students, the nine students in this class, this is with a big selling point for liberal arts colleges as the classes are very small, all nine of these students voted yes. Okay. So then other students kind of heard about this, word of mouth, and a full 45 students asked to be able to come and in this political science class hear from this professor. So he, I'm sorry, hear from this member of the European Parliament because this professor invited him. And Professor Dickinson had the following to say, I've never been more proud in my 30 years of teaching than to watch these students engage with the speaker, push back on him, engage with him. It was a marvelous example of how free speech facilitates learning. Professor Dickinson went on, uh, during the days of communist totalitarianism, scholars from the West traveled to Eastern Bloc nations to give underground lectures and seminars. On Wednesday, Mr. Legutko returned the favor. 
Isn't that fascinating? That now we've reached a point after the fall of the Iron Curtain, the destruction of the Berlin Wall. Now we are in a circumstance where it is, in fact, former Soviets uh, or former Soviet states that are sending people to speak in underground lectures on our own campuses, on our own universities, because that's how hostile the campus has become. That's how hostile colleges have become to free speech. So this was a victory, in a sense, for free speech at Middlebury, although a small one. And it certainly is an example of exactly what I talked to you about on the show, which is that these students, they're being robbed of the education they're paying so much for. It is being, they're stealing it from themselves and the administrators that are allowing it are aiding and abetting that theft. College is supposed to be about learning. Learning is the exchange of ideas, including ideas you may not necessarily agree with or like. Anyone who disagrees with that is an opponent of free thought, free expression, and education itself. College campuses have become an embarrassment in this regard, but perhaps these underground conservative movements, some of them are above ground too, will gather more steam, and we will see an end to the just psychotic censorship of the left on campuses and universities. Indefensible, indefensible in the way that they try to shut down ideas that they do not like. Uh, These people are petty totalitarians. They would be at home in the former Soviet bloc. And it's amazing that this is happening here today in America in 2019. All right, team, just remember what old Jack Burton does when the earthquakes and the poison arrows fall from the sky and the pillars of heaven shake. Yeah, Jack Burton just looks that big old storm right square in the eye and he says, give me your best shot, pal. I can take it. All right, team, facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. That is where you go for all of the wonderful Team Buck action that happens, on at least on the Facebook. And, uh, yeah, we got a big boy email that we're working on. It's only been a few years in the making to get an email address set up. I know, I know, my, my tech skills need some work. Peter is the first up in this piece. Hey, Buck. I was a Cruz and McMuffin voter in 2016 and podcast listener since the blaze can i get a do-over on the latter vote i have to tell you peter mcmuffin aka evan mcmullen is someone who uh really reminds me a bit of james comey uh where comey is so sanctimonious you think that he must be kidding but then you find out oh no wait he's not kidding he is actually that lame uh that strikes me as a pretty good explanation of both McMuffin and Comey. Uh, you assume, you want to give them the benefit of the doubt that they can't really be such such huge tools, but, but then you find out, oh no, no, they are in fact tools to that degree. And it is, it is both surprising and a little off-putting. So there you have that. Uh, now let's see what we got here. Next up, we have my man Harry. Oh, by the way, yes, you do get a, a do-over, Peter. I'll, I'll give you a do-over. Harry writes, Buck, concerning reparations, in addition to all the reasons you have already brilliantly argued, there's one more to consider. The U.S. Constitution, Article 3, Section 3, Paragraph 2, concerning treason, states, the Congress shall have power to declare the punishment of treason, but no attainder of treason shall work corruption of blood or forfeiture except during the life of the person attainted. Corruption of blood, etc., means descendants of a traitor shall not be held responsible or punished for the traitor's deeds. 
While specific only to the crime of treason, the implication is that no guilt of crime shall be visited upon the heirs of an offender. One reason we do not imprison children of murderers and rapists for crimes of their parents. Slavery reparation certainly feels like punishment through taxation for past sins. So reparation of any kind other than the immediate victim by the immediate perpetrator, neither of which exists today in this case, is thoroughly unconstitutional. Also, the definition of reparation includes making amends to someone who has been wronged. No one alive has been wronged directly by slavery. I'm thinking it may be appropriate to send most of Congress, especially the Democrat members, to a reading comprehension remedial class before having them read the U.S. Constitution, probably for the first time in many cases. Shields High, Harry, who, let me just tell you, you all can't see this, but Harry has a world-class beard. I've got a little, little baby beard. I've got a baby beard. Harry's got a big beard. Roar. Harry's beard's legit. Uh, and Harry's analysis here is is astute. He gets down into the uh, the immoral foundations of a reparations movement, essentially holding people culpable and taking of their property, which is really another way of suggesting that you are taking of their time. And there's this is why people don't like when the state just takes their stuff, because usually you've had to do things to get that stuff. And if the if the state uh, and a lot of times things you didn't want to do. So if the state is able to just seize your stuff, I believe in the uh, Declaration of Independence, it's referred or is it in Gosh, is it is it common sense or is it the declaration? I think it's the declaration. Eat out our substance. That's always one that sticks out in my mind. So with that, I will move on to the next one here. But no, Harry, you're right. You you cannot hold people responsible for actions that they had no uh, ability to affect one way or the other. And to do so is to um, eliminate the foundation of moral judgment altogether. Cindy writes, a, according to Ben Shapiro, Elizabeth Warren's plan to forgive nearly all college debt is actually a violation of the Constitution. It is a violation of the takings clause because the government cannot declare all private debt to be null and void. That would be taking something of value from you without just compensation. Uh, just think you should know this. Um, uh, free stuff. And I love the new Facebook pic, Cindy. Well, thank you, Cindy, for liking the new Facebook pic. I, I think that Ben is likely correct here on the on the legality of it but and I, and I don't think he would disagree with this that would not prevent the democrats from doing it anyway uh the constitution is increasingly flimsy defense of our rights and an insufficient bulwark against government overreach so even and, and that doesn't mean we shouldn't continue to make the argument i'm just saying they would claim that it this they would find some justification under uh you know, they'd say, well, if we can have welfare, which is just money taken from some people through taxation or redistributed to others, they would find a mechanism, Cindy, to make this legal one way or another. Uh, if people are on board, if Democrats and the left get their way with this debt forgiveness, they would make it some kind of, you know, they could make it a, a program where if you, you submit that you have a certain debt and the federal government gives you, you know, $10,000 a year until it's paid off or Actually, the federal government has something like that for federal government employees already, where they pay off some portion of your loans. But that's in response to work that you do. And that is an incentive, an, an explicit incentive for federal government workers. Uh, Michael writes, saw that clip where Joe DiGenova took your co-anchor to the woodshed. 
<laughs> well, Michael, you saw it and a lot of other people saw it. Uh, that clip went viral. And I think a lot of you heard it on the show last week. Um, some of you have some have asked me what I think about this and what my thoughts were in the situation. And I just say that uh, Crystal is my co-host and um, I, I have nothing but respect and fondness for her. And beyond that, I plead the fifth on the exchange. So I was not a part of the exchange. I watched the exchange. You can all see the exchange. And there you have it. Uh, but thanks, Michael, for writing in. Good to hear from you. I haven't gotten any snarky criticism from Michael in a while, which must mean the show is basically going okay, which is good to know. Eric writes, so I listened to your show on the Bucks X and 24-7 stream on the iHeart app. Yeah. All right, Eric. Awesome. Uh-oh. Now there's some bad stuff, though. I know iHeart controls this, but the news stories that play during the radio stop sets really stink. Last night, the person reading the news for USA Radio called Sri Lanka, Sri Lanka? No, come on. Also, the NBC News entertainment segments probably do not appeal to most of the people listening to conservative radio. I know it's out of your control. Just thought you should know. Thanks and shields high. Eric, I appreciate the heads up. It, it is out of my control. So all I can say is... Um, just please focus on the parts where I'm doing my show and let's not worry about the the uh, rest of it. Uh, Jeff writes, Hey, Buck, funny you had on the primal rage guy yesterday. You had mentioned the movie a couple times. So being a Bigfoot fan, I had to watch. This Bigfoot was a combination of Skinwalker, Predator, Evil Ninja, Predator 2, and Deliverance. Not quite as good as the notebook, uh, notebook but worth watching on a rainy weekend. You know, Jeff, I... I agree. It's a like it's just you know what you're getting with it. It's like going in and getting yourself, you know, some some General So's chicken. You know, General So's chicken all pretty much tastes the same. It is it is terrible for you, um, but it gets the job done and it's delicious. And for those of you who are already asking, yes, they do make gluten free General So's chicken. It's actually not that hard to make. Uh, that's that's what I'd say about that movie. That was a fascinating story though that uh, that Marshall told about his uh, fellow actor in that movie that, you know, lost his leg and then came back and finished the movie with a prosthetic leg. I mean, that was amazing. And I did not, and as somebody who watched the movie and paid attention, I did not notice that or notice any difference. And that guy was a very, a very physical role in that movie too. So he was running around trying to escape the Bigfoot. The Bigfoot is a very mean Bigfoot. You know what I will say though? Because I watched Big Trouble in Little China recently, which is why some of you have picked up on the Jack Burton quotes. In fact, I think all of you have. Maybe some of you are ignoring them because I like that movie too much for what it was. But the monster that kidnaps the woman who plays uh, uh, Kim Cattrall, who plays the, uh, I don't know how to describe it. She's in Sex in the City as the, one of the main characters. Kim Cattrall is in Big Trouble in Little China. She is at one point kidnapped, thrown over the shoulder of a very uh, unsightly monster. And that unsightly monster looks a bit like the Bigfoot in the Primal Rage movie. So I, I think I've driven up some Primal Rage, primal rage uh, viewership. And I, I told them that that and Marshall, and I'm sure hopefully he's listening because he's Team Buck, I, I already uh, sent him a message saying that they should do a follow-up, but they should do the uh, Abominable Snowman or the Yeti, you know, something in Russia. That could go really well. And I see, here's my little screenplay idea. You take the legend of the abominable snowman and maybe you tie it in and people would say it's been around a long time yeah no i know that but maybe you tie it into some kind of soviet 
nuclear reactor meltdown. So then it's like the hills have eyes in Siberia with a Bigfoot stalking a bunch of guys who are like, I just want to drink vodka and all the monster is eating my face. You know, that I think you got a winner. I think you got a winner because that bleak Russian landscape would also lend itself very well to horror movies like The Thing with also Kurt Russell, which takes place in Antarctica and is a very watchable movie for what it is. It's bleak. It's scary. And uh, I think I think that The Thing is a is a good movie. So put that in your pipe and smoke it. My man, Richard, one of my favorite Hoosiers in the whole wide world. I totally agree with your views on architecture today. As an artist, I'm always attracted to the stained glass and old churches with the big, beautiful organs. I don't understand why the modern church isn't building 150-story stained glass cathedrals. The religious buildings used to be the tallest in a city. I don't see why that can't happen again. Imagine the Bible being told in stained glass on every story all the way up to the sky cathedral. Maybe with a giant open-air column in the middle with some stone gargoyle thrown in for good measure. In Raleigh, they recently built a new Catholic cathedral, and I was excited. Then when it was shaping up, it was the same standard building, only it's made of stone. No gargoyles, no stone carvings. It's just lame. It's drywalled. How is that going to age? Richard, you ask a good question. I think the problem is the architecture software that is used today is not artist-friendly. Huh, interesting. That's why everything is a box and boring. It used to be you were drawing on paper and you wanted to throw in a decorative element, no problem. That's why the Budweiser warehouses have cool decorative elements or look at old schools or other old warehouses. You'll see the same thing. Heck, most mundane things like bridges had a bit of art thrown in. Now it takes hours to add an artist element in AutoCAD or Revit Uh, people are not going to pay for that if it takes so long. If you want a nice rendering, you have to export it to Unreal Engine or Maya or Max. Wow, Richard really is an architect. Notre Dame and St. Peter's were built by artists. Modern-day software is uh, is built by engineers that look down on artists with disdain. Sure, it can tell you how many nails and bricks you need, but one needs more than this to nurture the soul. I'm just glad the guys who built Notre Dame's ribs uh, vault over... uh, so that, sorry, that built Notre Dame rib vaults, overbuilt them, so not all was lost. There we go. Keep up the awesome, brother. Shields high. Richard, look at you with all the knowledge on the architectural stuff. Very, very cool. Team, we'll come back, do a quick roll call to finish out the show, and uh, stay with me. Welcome back, team. In the break there, I was just talking to DJ Brandon about, I said, Brandon, do horror movies get more messed up than The Hills Have Eyes? Because for me, that's like the, that is the Citizen Kane of incredibly violent and disturbing horror movies. And he ran me through some of the horror movie canon that he has seen. And, and wow, uh, I'm, I'm JV level for horror movies for sure. I might even be freshman team, you know, when they have to break it out into three teams, varsity JV, and then freshman. Uh, so I'm just going to keep it. I'm just going to keep it there. I'm still, I still lose sleep because of the witch. I thought that movie scared the, scared the bejeez out of me. I warned you. Uh, yeah, dude, it's a scary movie. It's scary. It's kind of exorcist-like, and that stuff really, as a, as a Catholic man, that stuff gets in your head. All right, on to happier things. Stephen writes, Buck, on the subject of beautiful churches, a beautiful church is great, but what's more important is that the Word of God is taught in its entire truth and purity. By the way, I'm a conservative confessional Lutheran. Uh, Stephen, I do not in any way disagree with you. Um, I just like beautiful churches. So there you go. 
Uh, I think that a beautiful church does serve a purpose that is aspirational and, uh, and you know, there's a reason for beauty in the Catholic Church, for the music, for the, the structures. Uh, but obviously, in the earliest days of the church, they were having you know, meetings underground in, in ancient Rome and all that stuff. Van writes, Buck, it's okay if you don't like the fashion architecture, etc. of the 70s. I didn't either. But don't you dare equate all the music from that era to the abomination known as disco. Disco was but a short-lived boil on the butt of an otherwise stellar decade of musical exploration and composition. There is reason for the still popular phrase, disco sucks. Don't get me wrong, you're still the man when it comes to serving up the truth and fighting the good fight for conservatives. I just had to have my musical say, shields high. Yeah, Van, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Uh, I know that if we look back in the 70s, um, right, that would be Zeppelin is 70s. Uh, is Hendrix is more 60s, right? Or is he more 70s? See, I uh, the 60s Woodstock, and the 70s. 60s, right? Yeah, so, I mean, when we think, what are the great bands of the 70s? What, the Rolling Stones? Sure, and Zeppelin. And Zeppelin, right? Yeah. Look, I'm just going to say it, and I'm going to get a lot of boomer hate for this. And that's okay, boomers, because I love you all. My parents are boomers, the most wonderful people on the planet. Uh, but just got to say, man, you guys you guys have a little too much nostalgia for your boomer, for your boomer music. I know it's, it's people in the office today were talking about how great... Uh, What's that song, Benny and the Jets? Who does that thing or whatever? Elton John. That's, that song's a headache. I'm sorry. <laughs> Takes forever. Dun, 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 dun. It's just not that. I know. Some of you are actually, I'm glad it's the end of the show because some of you are unfortunately switching me off now. As long as you come back tomorrow, then it's okay. Then we're all still friends. All right, team, that's going to be it today. <laughs> Ending on a high note, Buck. Uh, that's going to be it today. Speaking of friends, please do tell your friends about the show. Uh, anyone who wants to can always listen on the iHeart app, there's a Buck Sexton channel there. You can also listen to the podcast of the show on iTunes. A great way to listen on demand whenever you like, however you like. So please do uh, spread the word about that. I'm here every day this week. Right now, I think next week on Monday, I'm going to have to be out doing a little travel. And I believe we're going to get my main man, Raheem Kassam, at the helm. He's going to have some very interesting stuff to tell you. Raheem always does a great job, a, a great job. Um, hosting the show. I mean, we do have a fantastic guest host lineup here, so there is that. Uh, but so that's coming up for Monday. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, everybody. Talk to you tomorrow. Shields high. Even on the show this week, we've had to talk about more conservatives on campus getting attacked, harassed, banned. It's crazy out there, folks. And the campus wars for free speech today turn into the politics of tomorrow. We have to fight back. The Leadership Institute is the place that can help you take the fight to the other side. The Leadership Institute is the premier organization for educating and training conservative college students. Do you want an organization that can stand up to all the Soros-funded left-wing radicals on campus? Do you want an organization that's not going to bow down to the dictates of the radical progressives? That's the Leadership Institute, my friends. Visit TakeBackTheCampus.org to make your urgent gift to the Leadership Institute today. Again, take backthecampus.org for a gift of as little as $5 a month, you can help in the fight for conservative ideas and conservative students on campus. Again, takebackthecampus.org. Please donate today.